I think uh, it's time to get started. So first of all, thanks to everyone who coming out who uh, came out for the talk. Uh, this is HL310, how Methodist Laboners Healthcare focused on standardizing compliant obsolete to breakthrough apps. If you are looking for 310, you're in the right place. If not, then you're in for a treat because this is going to be a great talk. All right. Um, my name is Adam Lico. I am the CT CTO and uh, Chief Information Security Officer, or Security Officer in HIPAA terms, for Datica, which is a company that does healthcare compliance in the cloud. We provide a platform for that. <clears throat> With me on stage is David Deese, who's the uh, Corporate Director of Innovation and Knowledge Analytics at Methodist Laboner. And I'm going to hand it over to him, and he'll give you a little bit of background on a project that we did jointly. All right. Uh, so my job at Methodist is to run the innovation group, and uh, kind of a little of my background, uh, I worked in our corporate IT department for 18 years. And so I started before we even had computers in the clinical areas, and uh, we were still on paper. And so during that time, I've done about every job in healthcare IT you could do. I was a systems analyst, network engineer. I just bounced around until about 10 years ago, uh, we bought Cerner Millennium. And so I was the first full-time person on that project from Methodist, uh, took over as our project architect and technical project manager. So I helped design and implement the EMR at Methodist, uh, which took us several years. And at the end of that, we faced a pretty common problem at the time. We were generating terabytes of information and we had no clue what to do with it. Uh, and so my role changed a little bit at the end of that project and they said, okay, see if you can figure out what to do with this and uh, with all this data. And at the time they were, you know, focusing a lot on reporting uh, and we did that and we just buried people in reports and they hated us for it. So we went back a little bit and we started thinking, okay, a little more creatively, what can we do? And so we really dove into a custom reporting role. Uh, and so uh, our custom development role, we started developing our own dashboards, developing ways to use this data. And uh, that started making the IT department pretty uncomfortable. And so uh, about three years ago, uh, our CEO decided, hey, we really need to pull you out of IT and put you in a place where you can kind of uh, take a different attitude toward this. And so we created this uh, innovation department. And as the, the head of this department, what we're really looking to do is three things. Uh, we're trying to improve patient care. If, if it's a project that will improve patient care, we'll tackle it almost no matter what, uh, if we think we can get it done. Second is improve the lives of our clinicians. Uh, and if you work in healthcare, you probably know that the EMRs, while they did a number of great things, uh, making the clinicians' lives better wasn't really one of them. Uh, it changed the way clinicians do their job, not necessarily for the better. Uh, it tied them to certain workstations, it tied them to certain places in the hospital, and they had to run back and forth constantly. Uh, and so we really look for ways to improve their lives. Any second we can give back to a nurse in her day is valuable to us, and, and we want to give that back to them because we've really one more thing the nurses to death. Every time they come up with something they need done, oh, we can add that one more thing to the nurse's schedule. Uh, and that hasn't gone over too well. And then last but not least, save money for the organization. Hey, if we can, we can save money that we're spending on some technology or time or whatever it is that we can pour back into other projects that will improve the patient's care, we do it. And so 
over the three years, we've been able to save uh, in the neighborhood of seven to eight million dollars for the organization. So we're, uh, we're, we're not making money, but we're, we're providing for our own worth while we're in there. And so the goal of my team, our divide, the deciding metric is speed to market. Uh, I'm one of these people who believes that developers push code. And so we don't tinker, we attack projects, we get them out there, we push them. So we have over seven products now that are actively in use in the hospital in varying degrees of adoption. Uh, our biggest product uh, in our six hospitals, we have about 7,000 concurrent users from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. constant. Uh, and it's one of the ways that we actually run the, the system now. So, <clears throat> you know, so what we're really looking to do is to go from idea to functional product as fast as humanly possible. Fortunately, within my group, we have about 50 years of healthcare experience. Uh, so that really helps us to kind of weed out the duds pretty quick. So we don't spend a lot of time in meetings. Uh, and so what we generally do is we come up with an idea. We go to wireframe. We run it by a few people, some clinicians, some administrators. If we get a good feeling, we'll go through a couple of iterations on the wireframe. And then it's time to start slinging code. And, and that's what we're built to do. Unfortunately, at that point, it's time for us to talk to our internal IT department. And so we start down this path that if you've worked in a large IT department, you probably, this makes some sense to you. Uh, we get into uh, what I like to call ticket hell. Uh, we start making requests and begging for help and uh, making calls and uh, veiled threats, whatever we can do to get things moving. And I'll give you an example. Just recently, we started on a new idea. Didn't even really have a project around it. But uh, to start out with, we needed an Apache server. So I put in a ticket with the server guy, said, hey, I need an Apache server. Wait a couple of days to get a response. And the response is, hey, we can't, we're not even going to start on this until you get the ports opened up. So you got to talk to the networking team. All right. So put in a ticket with the networking team, wait a couple of days, get a response back from them. Hey, we can't open these ports with you until the security team tells us it's okay. Okay. So log a ticket with the security team, wait a couple of days, get a response back from them. Hey, if you want us to give you a pass on this, then we need to do a full security review of the product you're trying to implement. So now I have to explain to these folks, there is no product. There's nothing to review. Uh, and this is a pretty typical month for me. This is what I do is I get in there and I start pushing and threatening and escalating and uh, try to get what I need done. Uh, and so pretty quickly we realize this is just not workable. This is not going to work for us. The IT department's going to hate us forever. And so we need to figure out another way to do it. And so we really started looking at AWS and... Uh, made total sense to us. One of the main reasons is because healthcare is really cheap. It's not cheap to get, but we're really cheap people in healthcare. So we budget on a yearly cycle, and I could never tell you what I'm gonna work on a year ahead of time. I have no idea what I'm gonna work on a year ahead of time. So the one thing I can guarantee you is that our server guys are gonna have the exact number of processors, the exact amount of memory, and the exact amount of disk space 
that they need to do what was budgeted the year before. So that put me in a situation where I'm constantly robbing Peter to pay Paul. Uh, our server guy is one of my best friends. I routinely call him up and say, what projects do you have that are six months out? Can I steal their processors in memory? I'll get you the money before then. And so we were just constantly wheeling and dealing, uh, trying to do that. So looking at AWS, this giant uh, cloud pot of processors memory, disk space, all sorts of things to help us, uh, we were just dying to do that. But then we have a problem. We're not security people. I understand HIPAA. We can write code that is HIPAA compliant, but we don't know anything about running, uh, doing DevOps or running a system that's compliant with HIPAA. Uh, and our IT department isn't gonna do it for us because they're not gonna get involved in our projects, but they're not gonna let us hire people that can do it because then we're shedding, setting up a shadow IT department. So we were really stuck in that we knew we wanted to go to AWS, but there were all these things we couldn't do to make that work. And so uh, one of my guys who uh, is our lead developer and does a lot of our project management uh, knew somebody that worked at Datica. And so we kind of got hooked up with Datica and started talking to, the, talking to them and we realized pretty quick, this is our solution. Because Datica will do everything we can't for us. And we'll do it on AWS, which is where we want to be. So it puts us in a situation where we can get back to our core competency. We can get back to writing code. We can get back to pushing code. We can make sure our code's compliant, but we can hand it off to Datica at that point, And they handle in a high trust certified way, uh, making sure our data is protected and that we're HIPAA compliant. So this, this just was a great thing for us to just get out there, start pushing code and deploy. <clears throat> All right, so I'm going to turn it back over to Adam, and he's going to explain how some of this works. All right, thank you, David. <clears throat> All right, just a uh, quick overview of what we've got coming up in the presentation. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what uh, HIPAA-eligible services we can use with Datica, um, talk about HITRUST CSF and our orchestration framework that we have that enables us to deliver a HITRUST certified platform on top of AWS, and then give a little bit of an overview of uh, what the deployment process looks like on the Datica platform. So what is the Datica platform? Um, I think nowadays you hear the term platform is thrown around for a lot of different things. Um, we use it to talk about our platform as a service. It's, uh, if you're familiar with the term, great. If not, you can think uh, Heroku-ish, uh, but we do a lot more than that. It's more about having a framework that you can easily deliver applications where you're not bogged down in details of uh, you know, setting up VMs, configuring them to a specific security baseline, handling patching, uh, handling uh, you know, just general maintenance, that kind of thing. So our, our uh, platform is actually available, interestingly enough, not only in the US, but uh, in Canada and the Frankfurt region. The Frankfurt was just a recent addition. Um, that's uh, a pretty interesting uh, development for us. I think it's, uh, we've had, interestingly enough, a lot of the uh, health, digital health companies that we've worked with are really interested in, in uh, pursuing international deployments and it's fraught with peril. So <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever looked at that, but uh, there's a lot of things that 
are uh, gotchas that can trip you up. So it's been a big effort of us uh, for Datica recently to get in those other regions, and um, our customers have been able to take advantage of it. And I think it's they're very happy to let basically shove the problem over to us. Uh, wow, what is GDPR? You know, what is Privacy Shield? Help us figure this out. So that's one of the things that's a recent addition worth worth pointing out. Uh, we have hundreds of customers right now deploying workloads on a continuous basis. What does a continuous basis mean? Well, for some customers, that might mean you know once a quarter, once a month. For other customers, it's several times a day. The platform can scale and handle any kind of deployment model that you want on whatever frequency that you need. So, And we do have uh, quite a few customers, um, which is good. Uh, <clears throat> so the interesting thing about the platform is that any team that deals with EPHI, protected health information in the cloud, can use the platform. So not just startups, we actually have a fair amount of customers that are startups who are, um, you know, you can put yourself in their shoes, right? I've got this great idea for this digital health app. I'd like to push it out there. Um, great, you know? So I took, go talk to Methodist Labonner or someone else who is one of my first customers and they start asking me all these questions of like, well, what are you doing for compliance? How are you handling HIPAA? We like high trust, where's your SOC 2? So, um, you know, from their point of view, this is just a huge barrier to entry, which is actually pretty terrible for the industry at large. And the reason it's terrible is because it really discourages companies that are doing really interesting and innovative things from being able to deliver their solution. So, uh, you know, our platform really helps uh, guide them in the right direction, provides a great base for them. But on the other hand, you know, you look at Methodist Labonners, which is a very well-established um, health system, and they're able to take advantage of it too for the reasons that David went into earlier. Um, you know, it's not just small companies that, that uh, like this, it's larger companies that have innovation groups or people who just really want to go very quickly, do experiments, find out uh, what's working, what's not, without going through the rigmarole that you saw with David's earlier slide on the, the ticket hell, as he calls it. And then, um, <clears throat> in addition to the platform, we have uh, other services that are um, aligned with the success of digital health. Interoperability is a big one. Um, I think, you know, you think about, again, you've you got this idea for this great app, Okay, does it stand alone by itself? Sure. Would it work better if you could actually pull information from an EHR? Yes. So we have uh, the ability, and we'll go into this in a little bit more detail later on and talk about exactly how we did this, but um, building on top of the platform, um, we have additional services, which because we've got the base solid, compliant, high trust certified, we can do that. Okay, uh, this slide's a bit of an eye chart at this, at this uh, uh, distance, but Really what uh, the point of this slide is to talk about the shared responsibility model. So, you know, if you go to AWS's website and you look at the uh, HIPAA compliance white paper, which is great, and if you guys, anyone doing anything in the healthcare space who haven't taken a, a view of that or a read through that, it's definitely highly recommended. Um, it's about 50 pages. It goes through and talks about the concepts that we outline here, what services are covered, what aren't. Uh, things that you have to do, things that AWS does, things that they don't do. So um, one of the important things to keep in mind as you're going through the process of delivering healthcare applications in the cloud is, okay, where does AWS end? Where do I begin? What do they take care of me? What do I need to do? Um, and again, this is spelled out in explicit detail in the, in the document, uh, the white paper that I referenced earlier. So 
One of the, I mean, like, if you look at the cloud primitives, they're fantastic, right? You've got EC2, uh, storage EBS volumes, networking VPC, um, and then, you know, the infrastructure level concepts like availability zones. Um, <clears throat> those are great. So you take that, you start adding things on top of them, and you look at, okay, you know, what is my responsibility? So from the blue layer up, if you're just coming into AWS, this is what you have to take care of. Now there's a lot that they do for you. It's non-trivial to run a data center. There's a lot of great services like RDS that take care of things like backups, but there's a lot that you don't, that you're sort of on the hook for. So when you look at, um, you know, compliance of the cloud as AWS provides, Compliance on the cloud and compliance in the cloud are these two concepts that sort of build on top of each other. And so what the blue model or the blue layer there is, is really trying to uh, show or illustrate is what we do as value add on top of the core services that AWS provides that takes that off of your hands. And we're gonna get into a little bit more detail on exactly how this happens from a technical perspective. But uh, it's really important to know this. It's really important to understand the shared responsibility model as you go through the process because you really need to understand how compliance works from top to bottom. And that includes any subcontractors that you use, that you use, any subcontractors that they use. Um, so, you know, again, I'll, I'll uh, pitch the platform here a little bit because we, we were able to take compliance from just sort of the, the core level and move it up quite a bit, basically around the application level. Okay, one of, the things that, one of the things that we talked about earlier is high trust. And I'm gonna pause here in a minute to give David a, a chance to talk about why high trust is important. So I'll give you a little bit of detail about what high trust is. High trust is an industry initiative, interestingly enough, um, it's not government mandated. It was uh, a complete, uh, uh, I guess, initiative by the industry for a security framework that's more prescriptive than just HIPAA itself. So um, if you look at HIPAA, uh, you know, there's, the intention is great, right? You know, make sure you're doing encryption at rest, encryption in flight. There's a lot of things about training and, and um, you know, a whole set of high-level requirements. But it, if you go out to actually do those, there's no guidance on exactly what you should be doing. HITRUST takes that in addition to other frameworks, such as uh, 2701, PCI, uh, a little bit of meaningful use, it, it gathers up these different requirements, looks at all of them, and then it comes up with a single framework that gives very specific uh, control requirements, basically, from the compliance uh, terminology, on how exactly do you meet this uh, particular standard. So it not only describes you know, uh, control requirements that are common across all these different frameworks, the uh, Venn diagram of the white there, if you will, it also talks about how you should be doing them um, when you work with a third-party assessor, how they'll be checking those for you, and then there's actually a, a, a QA process after that where HITRUST will go through and verify the third-party um, assessment. So, What's nice is that, you know, the idea really is that rather than having this sort of loosey-goosey standard of like, okay, here's the things that you're, you're gonna do and then everyone does it 50 different ways, there's a central standardized framework that says, okay, do this, 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 we're gonna check it this way, we're gonna score you a very specific way. You get a report that's standardized and you can share that with your customers. Um, and that, that way everyone's uh, sort of on the same playing field. The, uh, the concept that they like to use there is audit once, report many. And I think in practice, it's still got a little bit ways to go there, but um, I think it's definitely a noble initiative. And now I'll hand it off to Dave to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, the reason for us, high trust was such a big deal. Uh, I'd heard the term before, I didn't really understand everything that it did. 
But everybody from our CEO all the way to our CIO to our security department, they knew everything about it. And so that word, just being able to say they're high trust certified, uh, calmed everybody down. Uh, the hospitals, you know, I think a lot of hospitals want to go to the cloud. I think a lot of hospitals have a hard time going to the cloud. And it's because of fear. We're, we're very fear-driven people. Uh, and it, you know, comes from the fact that if we mess up, people don't, you know, end up on the news getting yelled at. We end up in orange jumpsuits and, you know, in a, in a prison camp somewhere. So we're cognizant of that. And so it makes us not take chances, which it's hard to innovate if you're not going to take chances. So that high-trust certification... The second we were able to say that they were high trust certified, everybody calmed down. It was like everybody put the weapons away, said, okay, let's look at that. So uh, that made a big difference in our organization. Thank you, David. All right, moving on to um, a little bit more of the technical details about how our platform is structured. So really one of the most important technical fundamental underpinnings of the platform is the, the VPC concepts. Uh, I remember hearing about this uh, VPC when it first came out. The, the terminology is a little odd, right? Virtual private cloud, what, is it, what exactly does that mean? But it's a fantastic, fantastic way of creating isolation within an AWS environment. Um, so what we do is we have a platform that's sort of the blue layer and above um, where we take the concept of a VPC, which is basically having isolation at the network level uh, between different VMs that are running that make up your infrastructure, um, from a VM perspective at least. And uh, we uh, add some additional services on top of that. Um, so I don't know if you can see there, but that's the Docker logo. Our platform is Docker-based currently. Um, we have our own encrypted network overlay that we wrote. Um, we actually have our own orchestration system that we developed. Um, when we started this enterprise, uh, this exercise, three, four years ago, uh, you know, things like Kubernetes and um, uh, the uh, Cloud Foundry, to some extent, weren't really mature enough. Um, most of the Docker tooling at that point, if you're familiar with history, Fleet and uh, some of the other Docker-based uh, orchestration frameworks were, were very, very early. Now, they were showing a lot of promise, but we looked at this and, and we, we instantly recognized the value of, of Docker and containerization technology. I mean, there's a lot of things to like about it from a delivery perspective. There's a lot of challenges around it from uh, networking, isolation, multi-host management. Um, and so we set off to say, okay, well, you know, we're big believers in, in containerization technology. We're gonna make this work. So we, we ended up developing our own orchestration system uh, from scratch. And uh, the interesting thing about that is when you um, go and develop something like that, uh, security and compliance is not really very easy to add after the fact. I don't know if anyone has ever run into this, but uh, let's say you have this great, you know, tool and like, oh, that's great. Let's put healthcare data on it. Okay, <laughs> well, was it designed from the outset to do that? Uh, if it wasn't, you might have a huge hill in front of you. And so this is what we're finding with uh, a, a lot of the tooling that we have. Um, it's one, again, one of the reasons that we love AWS so much is they're, they're bringing more things under the fold. So you know that um, they're meeting all their SOC 2 requirements from a compliance perspective, from a security perspective. Uh, but, you know, having those primitives become available and under the HIPAA umbrella has been very helpful to us. As we extend the functionality in our platform, we make use of those primitives. And then we provide a nice, easy abstraction layer um, for our customers so they don't have to go into the AWS console, which is fantastic 
but if you've ever logged into it for the first time, it's just, you know, it's like, oh my God, where do I start? Uh, VPC, sure, and then it's, it's a bunch of steps. So uh, again, you know, uh, going through and reading the, the HIPAA white paper is, is helpful, but uh, you know, you, you sort of need a map to start with, and this is sort of what the value that we're providing there. So on top of this, our orchestration system, we've uh, developed services on top of that, like um, stateful databases, backup disaster recovery encryption, um, intrusion detection vulnerability scanning, dedicated logging, a disaster recovery policy, which is something that a lot of people don't think about, at least at the outset. Um, and interesting enough about uh, one, of the, one of the nice things about the way that we've structured our platform is that the policies and procedures that we use to manage that, the, the platform, in fact, the ones that we get audited under HITRUST are freely available on our website. So you can go to policy.datica.com it outlines in somewhat excruciating detail at times exactly how we're managing these different things. So, um, you know, as we're sitting on top of AWS, we were providing a lot of transparency. It's not just a black box of, hey, here's a bunch of hand wavy stuff that we do for you. Um, with, between our high trust report and our policies, you can see exactly what we're doing. You know, obviously we have some proprietary technology that we hold back a little bit, but the overall structure and flow of how the platform works is freely available. So if you're curious as to what a high trust compliant policy looks like for a te uh, technology company that's doing healthcare in the cloud, strongly recommend that you take a look at our policies, which are also available on GitHub. All right, uh, this slide, it talks a little bit about um, what, what it looks like from sort of the end user. So it's, again, it goes into some detail. Um, I'll start out really high and then I'll zoom in a little bit on the different parts of the flow and then I'll, I'll zoom back out. So um, as I said before, we've, we're you know, built on AWS. Um, we have uh, virtual private cloud is one of the fundamental constructs that we use. Within the VPC, we have our orchestration system that sort of carves up pieces, uh, whether it be dedicated VMs or parts of VMs. We have a multi-tenant system uh, for deploying applications. And then uh, within those, uh, we, have, we make use of cloud parameters like ELB for inbound requests. So those come in and they'll hit a specific environment. So the interesting thing about this is because of the way that we've streamlined deployments, we can spin up a new environment very quickly. Um, we have, for every environment, we have a set of services that we provide. It's the, the same set that I've been talking about here. Uh, dedicated logging monitoring, intrusion detection, vulnerability scanning, uh, disaster recovery, nightly backups, all of the things that we mentioned before. And then on top of that, so it, it's not only the platform itself, but environments that are provisioned on the platform that make use of the services that we provide. And then you can add your application database cache services on top. So you, know, you as a user of the platform, again, transparency, but you don't really have to worry about that. We have dashboards that show you, you know, where we're taking care of things, um, the status of your environment. Really at the application level, all you, all you really want to think about is how do I deploy this application? Oh, we need a Redis container here. All right, let's throw one up. Oh, we need more RAM, okay. And so the platform is designed for helping organizations iterate quickly to do that. And again, it's all built on top of AWS primitives. We have our own orchestration layer, uh, but the primitives that AWS provides have, have proven a fantastic match, especially ELBs. Um, we had a customer this weekend who was on Shark Tank and uh, we had to scale their traffic up. And it was, it was, I mean, I don't know how, to be honest, I don't know how we would do that if we were running our own data center. Uh, being able to basically at the click of a button say, all right, we need you know, a machine that's 60 times the size that we currently have, click, 
Okay, we're gonna redeploy the container, bring it up. It's got more RAM, resources available, boom, we were ready to go. So we were able to turn around that request pretty quickly for them and, and uh, that's worked out pretty well. Um, so in terms of what AWS services that we actually use, um, we actually use quite a few. Um, EC2 obviously is a huge one. Storage, EBS volumes, and uh, block storage for S3. A lot of people make use of that. Um, that's been fantastic. Uh, database services, we are adopting more RDS. Um, that's been the addition of SQL Server has been a boon for us. SQL Server can be a little bit of a bear to manage, especially if you're doing any kind of um, redundancy. So we were super excited to see that one and it, it opened up the door for our customers to have a streamlined experience for our SQL Server. Uh, networking obviously with VPCs and uh, the fundamentals like security groups and ACLs, cross VPC peering. Um, there's, there's the nice thing, and I guess it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, but one of the nice things about um, the VPC concept is it's incredibly flexible. Uh, you have you know, subnets, um, access, network access controls, security groups. There's a lot of different ways to structure your network uh, for compliance and for security and for isolation. Um, so we make use of a lot of those. We've become uh, quite adept recently at understanding the pros and cons of setting up different uh, VPCs for different kinds of services and you know cross VPC, different sub-account, things like that. So. Uh, that's been fantastic. The functionality is great. The flexibility is fantastic. Starting out, you know, it's, it's, it can be a bit of a bear to navigate through. And again, I think there's some templates for VPC uh, groups for, for HIPAA that AWS released in the past year. So if you haven't seen those, take a look at those. There's some CloudFormation templates that go through that. We actually use CloudFormation internally. Um, management tools, messaging, security, identity, compliance, and analytics. So these sort of round out. There's a lot of uh, value-add services that AWS provides that, you know, <clears throat> again, it's not going to get you, uh, it's not going to take care of all your compliance needs. You have to understand the shared responsibility model. But there's a lot there that's fantastic that you could take a look at like, oh, right, yeah, there's a, uh, uh, you know, configurator option, um, uh, configuration management tooling. Um, I don't think it's called configurator, I forget the term. Um, we actually use something else internally, but uh, this was released, it's under the HIPAA um, uh, umbrella, and that's, that's been great. There's a lot of, uh, I mean, it's, it's, again, go to the console, start digging around. It's pretty astounding how many services are, are available for you to, to work with. And, uh, you know, the punchline for us is we take all those services, uh, take them from, basically the baseline that you get from AWS, make them high trust CSF certified for the way that we're managing things, and then we provide them uh, directly to you. Okay, so again, this is a, a, a bit, uh, this sort of ties a little bit to one of the, David's earlier slides of, of what a deployment looks like on us versus um, just outside of AWS. So. You know, if, you're, if you know what you're doing, right, and you want to get started, um, you create your AWS account, set up the OS, um, do look at some containerization technologies. You can look at ECS, which is now under the uh, HIPAA umbrella, which is, again, a fantastic thing, but very much a, uh, a, a nice service to build on top of. Um, so look at, uh, you know, provision your network, understanding what your um, VPC groups should be. Uh, do you want separate VPCs? Do you want to use different subnets? Do you want to split things across different accounts? If you're a large organization, what's going to be the point of interaction between 
this subdivision versus this subdivision? Do you have an internal IT department? What kind of processes are you going to use to deploy those? Um, all that stuff you should think about. Um, we've actually talked with several customers who started off with AWS and uh, had one or two sort of aborted attempts at trying to structure their VPCs and had to redo things after the fact. So if you're going to go with this alone, I would definitely, in your company, uh, gather all the stakeholders, figure out who's going to be doing what, and go through the process to figure out who's going to be managing it, what kind of interrelationships you'll need between your different uh, networking isolation groups, and get that nailed down before, because you don't want to have to redo that, especially after you've deployed production applications. That would be a complete nightmare. Um, okay, so then you know, we've got networking in place. Uh, we figured out what we need for storage, logging, um, encryption. Uh, again, I think AWS does a, a great job here for, uh, you know, for about 90, 95% of use cases. Um, key management service is fantastic. Uh, we use that heavily internally. It's great having EBS volumes that you can detach and reattach is great. Uh, the snapshotting functionality is fantastic. There's a lot of great things to look at there. Um, uh, but, you know, it's, again, uh, they're great actions. You just sort of have to orchestrate them and fit them within your compliance framework. Um, and then, of course, you know, again, one thing that I think um, at least people who are, aren't really aware of, uh, disaster recovery is, is spelled out pretty explicitly in HIPAA uh, requirements. You have to have a disaster recovery policy uh, and a breach indemnification policy. So, uh, and that very much depends on, you know, how you've structured your, um, your infrastructure. For instance, are you using multiple regions? Uh, there's a lot of things to think about uh, with, okay, you know, someone nuked one of the AWS data centers from orbit, what do I do, right? So the first one is like, don't panic, right? That's number one. Uh, number two is, is you should really have a process that you follow that you've tested beforehand on what to do in that event. So most of the time, you'll probably want to spin up resources in different availability zones or different regions ahead of time because, you know, if it's a sort of catastrophic class black swan type of event, everyone's going to be scrambling to get the resources spun up. And AWS, while they're incredibly elastic, I don't know if they could take uh, U.S. East, for instance, moving to the Ohio region all at once. So you might get lucky, and if you're in early enough, you could provision infrastructure. But if you're looking at disaster recovery policies, that's something definitely to keep in mind is, is what that will look like from a uh, management perspective. And, and how are you sure you can, you know, if you have a recovery time objective or recovery point objectives, are you sure you can hit those if you have to move things over quickly? And of course, uh, for disaster recovery, S3 is fantastic. Cross-region replication, if you haven't looked at it, it's brilliant, works very easily. Um, very nice. Um, and then the breach, breach notification is another thing where it's sort of, right, in the ideal case, it's a block swan event or it never happens, but you are legally required to have something uh, for this. So, <clears throat> again, a lot to talk about in this slide, but that's sort of everything that you have to keep in mind if you're going for this. So, again, coming back to Datica, what we've done is we've taken a lot of these things, we put together uh, tooling around them or internal policies and procedures that we do that you inherit as a customer directly so you can just think about things like what environments do I want? How do I want services within those environments? Oh, great, someone nuked US East 1. Okay, Datica is, is on it and they're working for backups or doing you know, replication for us. Uh, so that's sort of the, again, the, the blue layer of abstraction above what we're providing on top of AWS.
All right, I've got a demo here. And um, this is our CLI. And there's a couple of basic commands that we're going to show. But uh, the first one is just uh, your basic init. Um, so the CLI is one of the interfaces for our product. We have a product dashboard and the CLI. The CLI is just tooling that you use to interact with the platform. Um, it actually has more functionality uh, than the, the dashboard does currently, although we're getting them up to par. So what you saw there is just setting up your account the first time. Um, you have an account, you log in, everything's good. Uh, so that's pretty straightforward. The, uh, the next demo here that we have is setting up an SSH key. So um, we use sort of the, the build pack model, which is uh, for deploying applications and building them. What you do, and that one went a little quickly. I apologize, so I, I might rerun that. Uh, rather than working at the image level, uh, which we're adding support for soon, um, you have a, a process where you actually push, you have a Git repository and you push the code up. It gets built for you uh, using build packs. There's support for everything from Rails to Elixir, newer frameworks like that, to Java-based applications, um, Spring Boot, for instance. So we have a, uh, we've been able to leverage a lot of the community build packs there. And uh, the general idea, which is kind of interesting, is we're talking about, right, is um, rather than sort of shoving off all the work of how do you configure your application and container to run in a compliant manner with proper audit logging, proper control over the OS image, we'll take your source code, put it on top of our hardened OS uh, layer, run the build process, and then take the result of that and, and deploy it for you automatically. So this process happens in a streamlined way automatically during the build process. Um, yeah, I don't think that one had anything too exciting. All right, so, and this sort of goes into, uh, shows you a little bit about how that process works for, I, I would say it's very developer friendly. The developer ergonomics are fairly high. Um, as a user, right, again, you don't, you're not clicking around things, you're using Git. There's an additional remote that gets added during the init process where you just say Git push data can master. And then it'll go through, and exactly what I talked about, we've got a Rails app here. Um, we're using a build pack. It's going through, it's running on top of sort of a hardened OS image. And then, uh, you know, installing all the bundles, uh, the gem file dependencies, going through the build process. And there's a little bit of a delay here while the, uh, the, the image itself is packaged up and pushed out. And then you'll see here in a minute that it'll get, it'll get deployed. So again, streamlined process for developers. Um, if you've seen Elastic Beanstalk, um, we, we took some ideas from that, uh, so to speak. Uh, the, the build pack concept actually comes from Heroku, uh, but it's a very smart way of, um, you know, doing an opinionated build on an image without basically taking the responsibility of maintaining those OS images on customers. Now, that being said, we do, we're adding support for uh, bringing your own Docker images to the platform. Um, as you say, there's, there's a little bit of a trade-off there because you're not building on top of uh, our OS image and there's some things that you do that you might not do in the right way. There's a little bit of a trade-off that you could um, you know, install hard-coded versions of applications. But that's where that understanding sort of where the shared responsibility and model is. For the build packs, we take care of a lot. You know, for the bring your own Docker images, we just bring it down a little bit and then you get more flexibility, but you also get more responsibility. And uh, the final slide here, or the little demo here, is for um, certs. So when you provision an environment on a platform, you get a DNS name for it, associated with it. And so this will tell you the command domain, will tell you this is pod03 
8.5. Um, and then one of the interesting things is, based on that domain name, you can create new sites and configure those sites to point to services that are running. So this is good for a lot of our customers make use of microservices. Some of them are exposed internally, some of them are exposed externally. For the ones that are exposed externally, like let's say we have a Hello World service that's just a REST API that's servicing a component of your application, uh, you can create a site and say, uh, I want traffic for helloworld.datica.com to go to code-1. So you can deploy with a git push, and then you can expose it. And then one of the slick things we've added recently is let's encrypt support for SSL certificate management. Um, I don't think there's anyone at this point would disagree that uh, easy SSL certificate management, uh, whether that's uh, the platform that you're using or for your developers, is just table stakes. It's too easy to screw up. Um, oh, right, I forgot to generate a 4K RSA key. Or, oh, as it turns out, I didn't use an elliptic curve cryptography as our policies dictate. So if you're looking at, you know, for anyone that's building applications on top of your platform, you got to get this right. You don't want someone to have to go through an X509 request unless they know what they're doing. Uh, and then that's great. Um, but we found for a lot of our application developers on the platform, it's not that they can't do it. It's just something that they expect someone else to take care of for them. So... All right, um, just to, sort of wrapping things up here a little bit. Um, so we talked a lot about applications, running applications. Um, the interesting thing about we've seen is the company's been around for a while is that uh, healthcare applications are, are more than just apps, web apps, uh, you know, uh, phone apps running somewhere. Uh, there's different types of workloads, different types of goals, especially with the you know, push for big data. We have um, a lot of customers that are going into uh, doing data lake projects, which we'll get into in a minute, and sort of uh, picking up where I left off earlier on integration, um, HL7 and Fire is something that we've done quite a lot of work with. And uh, as you can imagine, HL7 is a standard that was invented in the early 80s. V2 is still in use today. It's a pipe-delimited format, believe it or not, and text over line-delimited TCP, typically. Um, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's quite interesting to work with. Um, it can be a challenge for you know, your, your innovation groups that are used to Rails and great Python frameworks to go through and like, wait a minute, pipe delimited? Are, are you, you're joking, right? Surely EHRs don't still use this. They do. Uh, they do because it works and because the industry got together and said that this is the way that we we're going to do it way, way back, uh, uh, late 80s, early 90s, you saw adoption of HL7 spike up. So it's still around today, um, thankfully, because it, it does provide a mechanism for uh, transferring data. But you get both inbound and outbound. It's actually event-based, um, which is really interesting because uh, Fire is an API-based. But this is sort of it's like eventing, if you're familiar with that techno technical approach to developing applications. Um, so how does this fit on the platform? So we've built up a lot of uh, in-house expertise on this. Um, <clears throat> Again, we were looking at how we're going to do integration a couple of years ago, and the thing that we thought, well, we've got this great platform. Why don't we just run it on top of the platform? So that's exactly what we did. We have the standard uh, platform with all the pieces that you've seen before, logging, monitoring, intrusion detection, all of the core services, and then we put an interface engine called Mirth on top of that and created a VPN appliance and glued that in. So um, for us, that was great. It, it actually allowed us, Datica, the employee, the, the company, uh, to iterate very quickly on providing the service because we just sort of plopped it on top of what we had 
and we uh, you know, made sure that we're in line with all the policies and procedures for high trust certification. But it, was, uh, it turned out really well. So you know, it worked out well for us um, and being able to add services on top of our platform like this, I think you know, it's, uh, we hope that our customers uh, also appreciate you know, the speed that they can use, deploy new uh, types of services. Um, so in addition to integration, um, we have some data lake projects, uh, some machine learning things. Um, backend as a service is interesting. Datica actually started out as a backend as a service company. Uh, we still offer backend as a service uh, option based on parse, which out of a kind of an um, interesting series of events was very similar to a backend as a service uh, API that we were developing internally. So we had it, and then we were looking around, and we're like, wow, Parse does a lot of the stuff that we wanted to do, and they, they put a lot more development effort. Why don't we just put that on top of the platform? So that's another kind of uh, uh, example of where we were able to take a service, you know, look at it, make sure it's compliant, then put it on the platform and take advantage of all the work that we'd done previously. Um, uh, data visualization is actually something that's come up quite a bit. You'll see that often coupled with data and analytics. Um, so we support Tableau, and um, there's a few other open source. Uh, uh, Redash is one. There's a few other ones that we've uh, we've rolled out for customers. But that's a common model: is to do a lot of hardcore data processing with batch uh, mat, batch MapReduce jobs, and then take the output of that, and then have some nice sort of dashboards for management to see what the actual output it is. Get some insights. Throw some tooling at your data scientists so that they're not just staring at numbers all day. All right, so I'll let David take it from here. All right, so we went through the story of what my life was like before, uh, so let's kind of bring you up to date on what it's like now. Um, if you've ever tried to do containerization on Windows, which is Microsoft is all the products our IT department would allow, uh, so we had Linux environments containerized on top of Microsoft servers, uh, we, at some point, we actually had to get Microsoft programmer to help us even make some of this stuff work. Uh, it, it was always a challenge. And then what, the, from the technical standpoint, and then, you know, I went through what I had to do from a management standpoint. Uh, an important part of the story is, is that I write all of our database code still. Not because I have to, because I want to, because that's what I like to do. And so I would spend my days in the past slogging through management and calls and tickets and all that. And then I would have to go home and sit up in my cave and write code, uh, sometimes till two in the morning. So, you know, life wasn't great. My wife wasn't happy. I think I gained 20 pounds because uh, <laughs> I sat at a desk all day long. And with going to Datica, uh, now for me to spin up a container, uh, most of the time we can do it ourselves. Most of the time we get up you know, get to the dashboard and we just do it ourselves. Uh, if not, we open our uh, Slack channel and, and talk with our uh, technical support folks and work through any issues we have, and that usually works pretty quickly. So, you know, we've gone from literally months to, to get a server up and going, to get an instance up and going, to, you know, literally hours, minutes uh, to get it going. So I spend very little of my time shepherding that process through now. Uh, from a budgeting perspective, uh, now I just budget a pot of money. And, you know, I just say, I'm only going to use what I need. Trust me a little bit. And so far, our management's been able to do that. And so I don't have to go running around trying to drum up money. I don't have to keep trying to figure out 
how to make these things work and just, you know, bootstrap every single thing we did. And so it is night and day, uh, the, the capabilities we have and the life we have. Uh, the support has been excellent uh, from both AWS and Datica. Uh, we've switched most of our applications middle of the day, no notice, with not a single user even knowing we did it. Uh, and so uh, I can't say enough about what we've gotten out of it. Me personally, a lot. Uh, my wife feels like she has her husband back. My kids have their father back. Uh, that's been nice for me. I can actually, uh, you know, do some things I want to do just in time here for Far Cry 5, so I'm happy. Uh, and so uh, that's it. Totally different life uh, from an innovation department. If you are trying to set up an innovation department inside of a healthcare system uh, and you face some of the same things we do, uh, you know, feel free to come up here, get a card. I'd be happy to talk with you. Uh, this is not a paid endorsement. I literally am just happy with the product and happy with the way things have worked. So that's where we are. All right. Well, thank you, David. I believe that brings us to the end. So first of all, thank you for um, attending. It's been uh, a pleasure to, to get up here and talk about this stuff. It's very near and dear to my heart. Um, do we have any questions from the audience? <laughs>